G'day church, it's Russell Kirkland here, just doing a couple of Bible readings um, for us this morning. Uh, The first one comes from the book of Psalm, chapter 40, uh, verses 4 through to 10. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are your wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Our second reading uh, this morning comes from 1 Samuel 12, verses 12 through 25. Uh, We're picking up from where the NIV scribes, they've recorded this as Samuel's farewell speech. And from verse 12, Samuel is speaking to Israel. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for, see, The Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now then, Stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain. And you will realise what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. I will teach you the way that is good and right, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, Both you and your king will perish. 
Thanks, Brother Russell. Hey, it's great to be with you this morning. It's such a privilege to be able to open the Bible with you. Occasionally on my social media, someone will share a funny image with the caption, you had one job. Let me show you a couple of examples. So here's the first one. You might notice the markings on the road are a little bit different to the ones on the sign. Unfortunate. Or the next one. Here's a lovely um, picture book and count teaching numbers. Let's just count those bananas there. One, two, three, four, five. Well, look, there's at least five, right? So, yeah. Okay, and the final one. It's a special lockdown-themed one. Someone home uh, handyman with a bit too much time on their hands, I'd say. Th these are funny, right, because it just doesn't seem that hard to get these basic jobs right. What was going on for those workers that they messed up in such an obvious way? We have been tracking the story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. The leadership of God's people is the big issue. God has been Israel's true king, and he's protected them and provided for them so well. But when God's prophet Samuel grew old, the people made a shocking request. Give us a king, they said, like all the nations have. They rejected their true king, God, and they put their trust in a human king. Surprisingly, God said, give them the king they want. So in this next section of 1 Samuel, we meet the king Israel was given. What will he be like? What is the one job that he must get right? And how will he get on doing that one job? Before we find out, let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, we thank you that into our busy, noisy world, you have spoken. Please help us now to focus on what you are saying, to be able to hear your word and understand it. Please move our hearts to want to obey you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to tackle seven chapters of the book of 1 Samuel this morning. So it's going to be light touch for uh, some of it as we go, and it would be really helpful if you could have a Bible open in whatever form you've got that. Come to the start of chapter 9, 1 Samuel chapter 9, and let's read the way this new king is introduced in these first verses of chapter 9. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphiah of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Two things about Saul really stand out. He has impressive family connections. His father, Kish, is described as a man of great power. We might say he was a Fairfax or a Packer or a Kennedy. And Saul is physically impressive. He's head and shoulders above the rest. Saul fits the world's leadership mold perfectly. God gives his people what they want a king like the nations. 
But I think we should be a bit uneasy when we read this description of Saul. Remember, Samuel came from an unknown family from Nowheresville. Remember, Hannah sang about God as the one who brought down the high and mighty and exalted the poor and needy. Saul is a somebody. What will God do through him? Chapters 9 and 10 tell the story of Saul setting off on his search for some donkeys and finding Samuel. There's this string of bizarre coincidences. Saul's dad loses his donkeys, so Saul goes chasing after them. And just when Saul's ready to pack it in, his servant just happens to know of a man of God who lives nearby. As they head up to town, they just happen to bump into some girls who just happen to know that the man of God is coming that day. And as they enter the town, they just happen to bump into Samuel. It all feels like a big fluke. But chapter 9, verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. Do you see? God has orchestrated the whole thing. This passage sets up a comical comparison between God and Saul. God has been rejected as king, and Saul is the substitute. But God's still the one in control. And while he maps out the future of the nation, Saul is oblivious. He's just worried about a bunch of donkeys that he's not even clever enough to find. Let's pick it up. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? And then Samuel tells Saul about these three bizarre events that are going to happen on his way home. And then he gives Saul a word from the Lord. Come down, verse 5, chapter 10, verse 5. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. Down to verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Now Samuel's a bit mysterious about exactly what Saul is supposed to do at this point. But when God's Spirit came powerfully upon the judges back in the day, the next event was the overthrow of Israel's enemies. And there's a Philistine outpost there. Hint, hint. Verse 8. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Okay, Saul now has his word from the Lord. So what happens? Well, all the signs are fulfilled and then nothing. When Saul gets home, he says nothing about these extraordinary things and there's no move against the Philistines. It's a big anticlimax and it's a bit strange. Well, Samuel then summons the people to Mizpah and he conducts a divine lottery that sees Saul 
get chosen. But at the crucial moment, they can't find Saul. Chapter 10, verse 22. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he's hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. It's really very funny. This impressive warrior king that they wanted hiding among the supplies. What does this say about Saul? What does this say about the people of Israel? So determined that they would rather this clueless beefcake than the God who rules history. Verse 25. Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. What's this all about? Right at the beginning, Samuel sets the kingship in the context of the covenant, God's prior relationship with Israel. Samuel probably reminded them of what Deuteronomy 17 said about Israelite kingship. Israel's king was to be a fellow Israelite. He was not to accumulate many possessions or many wives. Most importantly, the king of Israel must have a Bible on his bedside table and he must meditate on God's word day and night. He must speak the word of God to the people. See, the king that Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy 17 was a king unlike the kings of the nations because he was a servant of God's word and a servant of God's people. It was that kind of kingship that Samuel drew up for the people. In chapter 11 of 1 Samuel, Saul makes a promising start. As the people had feared, Nahash, the Ammonite king, he was a nasty piece of work, he came and besieged the city of Jabesh-Gilead. Now Nahash really wanted to humiliate all Israel, and so he gave the city a week to raise an army against him, if they could. He was just toying with them. Strangely, Saul seems to have gone back to farming. But eventually, he hears the news, and verse 6 of chapter 11, When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. He summoned all Israel, and God gave them a great victory against the Ammonites. This time, Saul acts very much like one of the old-time judges, like Gideon or Barak or Jephthah. God takes hold of him and empowers him to win a great victory for Israel. And at the end of the chapter, we're left thinking, perhaps this kingship caper is not so bad. Perhaps, in God's mercy, it might work out for Israel after all. But in chapter 12, Samuel gives the people a stinging rebuke. He leaves them in no doubt that their brand of kingship is a big problem. In chapter 12, Samuel says, 
I listened to you in giving you a king. Now you listen to me. And Samuel speaks here like a prosecuting attorney in a court case, bringing one exhibit after another to show Israel their wickedness and their guilt in asking for a king. Exhibit A, look at the Exodus. The people cried out to God who raised up Moses and Aaron to lead them out. Exhibit B, look at the time of the judges. You were under threat again and again and whenever you called out to God, he raised up a saviour for you. Exhibit C, you asked for a king, though the Lord your God is your king, your merciful, powerful king. In the euphoria of their victory over the Ammonites, Israel might have been tempted to think that it was their clever proposal, their king who had brought security for them. That wasn't true. And to show Israel that their cry for a king was faithless and evil, Samuel calls on the Lord to send thunder and rain. It was miraculous and that the rain didn't normally come at harvest time. And it was meaningful. The last time God had thundered like that was when he defeated the Philistines back in chapter 7. God was now thundering against Israel. They had become his enemies by asking for a human king. They were just like the idolatrous Philistines, except for one massive difference. Chapter 12, verse 22. Let me read that again for us. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. These faithless people have a faithful God. The Lord will not reject his people because God has chosen them. God is gracious. God has provided a mediator for them in the person of Samuel, someone who will pray for them and faithfully speak God's word to them. That was the kind of leadership they really needed. So Samuel urges the people and their king to listen to the voice of God, lest they be swept away. At the end of chapter 11, Samuel called all Israel to Gilgal to renew the kingship. He wasn't talking about Saul's kingship, but about God's kingship. In chapter 12, Samuel is calling the people back to acknowledge God as king. God had no intention of giving up his rule over Israel. Well, that's good news. What an extraordinary, gracious God he is. Israel's human king will be allowed by God if he too will submit to God and listen to God's word through his prophet and lead the people in submission to God. Now we know the one job this king of Israel must get right. 
Above all, this king must listen carefully to God's word and obey him. That is the only way to blessing for himself and for the people. To tune out all the background noise, tune in to the sound of God's words and obey. Well, how does King Saul get on? It's a sad story. Chapters 13 to 15 tell us how he failed. Saul turns out to be proud, faithless and disobedient. Let me just touch on two events. Do you remember Samuel's word from God back in chapter 10? Go to Gilgal, wait seven days for me to come and then I will offer the sacrifice and give you instructions. Well, in chapter 13, Saul's son Jonathan finally takes the initiative and attacks that Philistine outpost. And that was like poking a stick in a wasp's nest. The Philistines are furious. They gather for war. So Saul takes his army to Gilgal, waits, waits, almost the seven days. Finally, he offers the sacrifice himself. And wouldn't you know it, at that very moment, Samuel comes walking over the hill. (laughs) And see what he says in chapter 13, verse 13. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You idiot! You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. It's not even three strikes and you're out. One act of disobedience was enough to disqualify Saul from the kingship. You've got to feel for Saul. That was a tough situation, incredibly stressful. Everything was going against him. He was backed into a corner. Offering the sacrifice when he did seems like the most sensible move. At least it did to Saul and it does to us too. But the one thing the king of Israel cannot be is disobedient to the word of God. He had one job and he messed it up. Well, Saul does a bunch more foolish things in chapter 14. But come over to chapter 15 to the defining incident in Saul's kingship. Now I'm going to hand over to Penny Dearness, who is going to read verses 10 to 23 for us. Thanks, Penny. I'm here to read you the Bible. Uh, 1 Samuel 15, verse 10 to 23. So open up and let's read. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul, come to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, 
Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. The word of the Lord to Saul here is deeply disturbing. There's no way to lessen the horror of what he is asked to to do. Verse 18 has the summary. And the Lord sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. The Amalekites were a nation ruthlessly opposed to God and his people. Um, God had been patient with them for hundreds of years. And the time had come for the terrible judgment of God to fall on the Amalekites. No one was to be spared. This was another incredibly hard thing for Saul to hear and to obey. So Saul gathers a huge army. And he does most of what God asked him to do. Uh, He wipes out everyone except Agag, their king, and he destroys many of the animals. Come back to um, verse 9 of chapter 15. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good, These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. We might say, 95% done. That's a good effort. But God's assessment is very different. Verse 11. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Or in verse 19, um, Samuel asks, Why did you not obey the Lord? 
Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Saul had one job, to listen carefully to God's word and obey him, and he failed. The consequences are devastating. Saul is rejected as king over Israel. There's a permanent breach at the end of this chapter between Samuel and Saul. And we don't yet know what this will mean for God's people Israel, but it cannot be good. Saul looked impressive. Head and shoulders above the rest, handsome, rich, well-connected. But in the end, he proved to be proud, faithless and disobedient. Saul's kingship is a great tragedy. But we can learn from it. First, it struck me that in Israel and Saul, my own idolatry is exposed. We have the king of the universe as our father, the ruler of history. He is faithful and generous and good. But we can't see him with our eyes. And so often we look for security in the things we can see, in great people, in friends, in real estate, in our careers, in insurance, in technology and possessions. There's nothing necessarily wrong with any of those things, but every one of them will fail sooner or later. God alone controls all things. His word determines history. He is the only one worthy of our trust. So let's resolve to rest ourselves and our future in God alone. Secondly, Saul puts squarely before us the day-in, day-out challenge to obey God's word. Saul, in many ways, was successful as a king. He won famous victories. He was religious. He made sure he had a priest. He consulted God. He made the sacrifices. But in the end, none of that mattered. He was judged by that one thing, by his disobedience to God's word. And you know, that's what God is really concerned about, whether or not we hear and obey his word. And especially if you have tried very hard to be good, you will know that obeying God's word is sometimes really hard. Saul found himself in some intense situations under pressure from the Philistines, from his own soldiers. When the pressure was on, Saul caved. And again, I can sympathize with Saul. That conversation between Saul and Samuel in chapter 15 I found especially confronting. Step by step, Samuel exposes Saul's sin. And it's the way my heart operates too, and your heart. First, Saul outright denies doing the wrong thing. Hey, Samuel, I've carried out the Lord's instructions. Sometimes we just lack self-awareness. 
We're so self-deceived that we don't even realize we're doing the wrong thing. That's why we need the sharp edge of God's word to expose what is true, even if it's ugly. Next, when Samuel confronts him, Saul justifies his behavior. He blames others. The soldiers did it. He plays the victim. I was afraid of the men and I gave in to, to, to what they wanted. He makes out that he had a noble motive for what he did. We only kept the best of the animals to sacrifice to the Lord. Where have we heard this before? Genesis chapter 3. Adam said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And I ate it. The blame game. It's got a long history. We've all played that game. It's not my fault. It's my parents. It's the government. It's the stress of lockdown. Or, I know I did the wrong thing, but I meant well. I did fudge my tax return a bit, but it was so that I could give more to church. Enough. Let's hear the warning of Samuel's words to Saul. God seriously hates disobedience. It is rebellion. It is arrogance. It is evil in the eyes of the Lord. Let's come clean before God today. Search your own heart. Confess your sin without excuses and cry out to God for forgiveness. And then commit yourself afresh to listen and to obey God no matter what pressure you're put under to compromise. Every day is a new day. Praise God. Finally, perhaps most importantly, these stories leave us longing for the one better than Saul who Samuel promised would come. Next week, we will see that one is David. But ultimately, that one is Jesus. Jesus is the king who has the heart of obedience. Those poor efforts at doing one job that we saw at the beginning they should have been simple and easy to do. But obeying God every day for a lifetime, that is so hard. And Jesus did that perfectly. He always listened. He always obeyed God's word. He stood firm against the most devilish temptations that Satan could throw at him. He stood firm against his friends. Remember when Jesus told Peter that he must be killed? Peter said, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus replied, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus stood firm in spite of his own entirely reasonable fears. On the night before he died, he was in anguish, overwhelmed at the thought of enduring the fury of God for the sin of the world. Yet not as I will, 
but as you will, he prayed. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We are so often like Saul, faithless, proud, disobedient. But we have hope because God has sent us a perfect king. Jesus had one job and he did it perfectly. Listening, obeying God's word all the way to the cross. Jesus is the spirit-filled king who fought against our deadliest enemies and won the victory. What great things the Lord has done for us. What a great king we have. May we be a people infatuated with this King Jesus and with none other. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do confess our sin to you. We have been foolish. We have not listened carefully to your word. We have arrogantly made up our own rules for life. We have no excuse. Please forgive us. Father, we praise you for sending the Lord Jesus. We rejoice in his faithfulness and his perfect obedience. We rest in the rescue that you have won for us through his death. Please, Father, we pray that you would make us like him, that you would soften our hearts to tremble at your word. We long to be those who are known for our glad obedience to you. Please, will you continue your good work in and through us as your people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.